What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Good morning. It's my privilege to introduce John Rugg. He's no stranger to Gospel Fellowship. He's been here many times and... Uh, he and his wife, Kathy, been missionaries to Chile uh, for 36 years, as I recall. And he's uh, no stranger to this area either. He uh, graduated from Geneva College, and then I believe he went to seminary at Covenant. If I, yes. I'm right. They have four grown children. Uh, Kathy and Wani, their youngest uh, daughter, will be here at the 11 o'clock, so you'll get a chance to meet them. Uh, the work they do in Chile work as church planters as well as they are John is the founder and director of a, a Christian-based organization called Samipre, which is a, in, in a Spanish acronym, basically means Presbyterian Ministry Center. And uh, he also, um, he, or, where th that organization works for the uh, differently enabled, if you will. And uh, John, it's a privilege to have you here. Let me invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. I will read from two portions of scripture and pray. And if I forget to invite you to be seated after that prayer, uh, be seated. Uh, I have left more than one congregation standing. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. But seriously, turning our hearts to, uh, toward God's word in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. This is in the midst of, of that big dream that Nebuchadnezzar had about a statue, which scared him a whole lot. And... Uh, 
just a, a couple key verses from this chapter, Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. And then going back in your Bible to the last book, the book of Revelation, probably a book that is least read by most of us. Revelation chapter 17, verses 3 to 14. Don't try to figure everything out, but do get the point, the main point, which has to do with kingdoms. Revelation chapter 17, starting in verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it has seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of, of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast and, uh, with uh, seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the, the uh, dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not and is uh, an eighth, uh, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. But they are to receive authority 
as kings of, for one hour, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and their authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We come to you uh, with hearts that tremble at news from your word, news that we don't fully understand, but we, get, we can get the gist of it. You would have us to understand, and you would have us to look to you not tremble before the world, but tremble in faith before you, our great and awesome God. Pray that you would help us to understand your word and that it would uh, work in our hearts in many, many ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. at scripture, we look at the world around us, and I think that we are often very tempted to see, uh, not really make a connection, but we need to understand some things from scripture to be more in tune with what is going on around us even today. And I would, I would just urge you to be thinking in terms of, of kingdoms. Whose kingdom is it anyway? Can't help but think of Jesus being uh, tempted by Satan and Satan taking him and saying, if you just worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms as if they were his to give. And of course, he obviously has had from the beginning of history and down through all of the kingdoms and empires and, 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 and uh, stuff that's gone on, he's had his hand in it. And indeed, has had uh, a certain rule over it. And yet, Jesus is Lord. This is what we need to see. Now, when... You, you, you need to understand that Daniel was taken away as a captive, and here he finds himself in King Nebuchadnezzar's court. And we won't go into all of the details of the statue and everything, but suffice it to say that the different materials of the statue refer to the different parts of the, uh, the body of the statue, the head and the, the, the chest, etc., refer to different kingdoms, uh, perhaps starting with the Babylonian and going on uh, to the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans and, and so on and so forth, and is an image of something that, uh, that uh, 
in uh, uh, Daniel's day was very, very real. We live in a country that we call democratic, and so we don't think in terms of kingdoms, but we still need to understand that the world around us is a world that is subject to a godless, uh, a godless approach, a godless way of thinking, and it still involves empires and kingdoms. It still involves this, the same kind of attitude. Now, when we, when we look at, at uh, this, this portion of Daniel, these verses, what do we see? There's a, there's a rock that's cut away. We see a king in the context, we see a king who is scared stiff. He had a dream. And he was so scared that he made sure that somebody, if they were going to interpret it, had to be able to tell him what the dream was. Remember that? And that's what went on. You can read Daniel chapter 2 for yourself. But the point is that in there, he's scared and, and he's thinking about the future and what's going to happen. And as he looks, he is frightened because there is a rock that's cut away without any human hand actually doing it, and it is thrown against the feet of the statue, which is destroyed. And he's been told that he's the head of the statue, the gold part, and that gets destroyed too. This is what we see here. What is that kingdom? That kingdom that is established without the help of a human being. That kingdom, who does it belong to? It's the kingdom of God. Now, we, we move to the passage in Revelation. And there's a lot to be confused about, a lot to keep, try to keep up with. Suffice it to say, the beast is Satan, the woman on the beast represents the nations. Perhaps the nation, uh, uh, the, the uh, empire of uh, the Apostle John's day, the Roman Empire, but they refer to it as Babylon, uh, perhaps for reasons of, of avoiding persecution. But whatever the truth of the matter is, that uh, it's, it's a, a, it is explaining something. John is on the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos was not a comfortable place. It was a prison island. I found out on a trip to Turkey that it is a rock. Nothing grows there. Nothing to eat. Imagine all your food has to be brought in. Imagine the mad scramble of the prisoners to get something to eat. Imagine the lifestyle on that island for the Apostle John. And then God reveals things to him, which uh, is called the Apocalypse or, or Revelation. And, and uh, there is, is a lot here uh, that is said. Uh, in verse 7, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast, etc. And then uh, he, ex he explains, the angel explains, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about 
uh, to rise from the bottomless pit. That's a, that's a hint because we, we see that in terms of, of Satan. And, uh, and then it refers to, uh, to the, the woman as representing, uh, representing the kingdoms. And there's things involved in, in, uh, in this whole thing. There's beauty. You see that? She's clad in, in uh, royal, uh, royal uh, attire. It's purple clothing. In those days, nobody could be dressed in purple if they were not royalty. And so she looks beautiful. And yet... What do we see besides the jewels and everything? The abomination, the cup full of abomination, uh, abominations. Uh, we, we see the, the, the blasphemy written all over. We see the, the, and just turn on the TV. Nobody can, can actually be surprised in America anymore without saying, oh my God. And they're taking God's name in vain. Blasphemy. And, and, and so we, we look and we see this thing, and, we, and, and, and at the same time, it, it speaks of, of, uh, of war against God's people. It speaks of the blood of the martyrs. But it also speaks in verse 14 of something very special. Because in verse 14, it says, they will make war on the lamb. Who's the lamb? The lamb is Jesus Christ. He's the one that in chapter 5 of Revelation comes and is capable of opening the seals of the scroll. He's capable of managing the history that many of us would rather not even study. But he's capable, and he is sovereign, and he is Lord, and he is at the same time presented in Revelation 5 as the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world, the one who sacrificed himself on the cross for God's people. So they wage war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. This is what we see then. What a comfort to know that the kingdom of God will have victory over all the kingdoms of the earth because of the work of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. This is strange when you make some comparisons. When you realize the pomp of the kingdoms and the power and, and all that is used at their disposal. And you see the Lamb of God. The humility of God to come to earth in the person of his son. And live a perfect life and minister, and bring in, initiate the kingdom. There's an, there's a, there's an, uh, 
a now and a not yet aspect of God's kingdom. There's aspects that are true even now. And there's things about God's kingdom that, for instance, resurrection of our bodies, that's future. So you need to see that. But uh, John received this good news, like I said, on the island of Patmos. And there he is. Now, our children are exposed to such moral degradation in our day that our parents probably couldn't have ever imagined would come to pass in our country. And we learn of senseless behavior only to discover that something even more terrible, more sinister, is behind that behavior. It's hidden in back of it. So much leads to uh, leading to sexual slavery out of love for money and power. What do you think is behind the abortion industry if it isn't money? And if sex can be used for that purpose, that's what's behind it. Money, the love of money and power. But do not forget that the sovereign Lord is in control of history and his kingdom has been impacting the kingdoms of this world down through history ever since Jesus came. Just a quick review. In Matthew chapter 4, 23 and 24, we read, And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. The very people, the very people, the religious leaders regarded as outside of God's kingdom were the ones Jesus reached out to. Do we? I'm happy to hear about the, the, the Johnny and Friends trip. We need to be reaching out to people. We need to be reaching out to those that Jesus reached out to. These are the people Jesus said uh, we should invite into our homes. In Luke chapter 14, for example, and precisely because that is what God is going to do in, in the final banquet feast, where, where he says, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Is this not what we should be doing even now? Stuff about the future is not just so we can know the future. It's so that we can live now and govern ourselves accordingly. Reaching others, uh, it, when, while reaching others, we easily overlook those that are uh, different from ourselves. I'm afraid that the definition of evangelism in the modern church is 
telling people about Jesus that are like me. And people say we're all missionaries. Indeed, we should be. But what is missions? Missio is Latin for sent, kind of related to the word uh, uh, apostle, but where missionaries are not apostles, that's not the point. But the point is that we are sent to cross barriers, whether here in this country or elsewhere. And there are people different than us. And we are called to cross barriers and not just go to what is comfortable. The kingdom of God was announced to those despised by the religious leaders. And uh, it, it says in, in, in Luke 15, 3, uh, 1 and 2, now the, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to, to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, uh, grumbled saying, this man uh, receives sinners and eats with them. Now, Jesus was even Zacchaeus's guest. Remember Zacchaeus, the little guy that was a tax collector that cheated a lot of people? But Jesus was his guest for the sake of the gospel of the kingdom. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully, it says. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be, with, uh, be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said, to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my, my goods I give to the poor, and if, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see the difference? The difference between the kingdoms of this world that are founded on, on uh, pride, that are founded on lording it over one another, and who can beat out the other person? Very different from Jesus' kingdom that takes people into consideration that even the religious leaders don't think about. No, they're outside the reach of God's kingdom, according to them. And Jesus says no, and he takes everything and turns it right side up. But for them, it's flipped upside down. Now, in, uh, in, in Matthew uh, 21, uh, 31, the second part, it says, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. He was talking to the religious leaders. What I want you to see then is to have the, the strong conviction 
The strong conviction not to be surprised by the kingdoms of this world, not to be surprised by the senselessness of it all. I'm not saying we should be indifferent. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to influence our environment. Daniel did in his day living in a pagan kingdom. Jesus says we're to be salt and light. But I am saying we should not be shocked. Nor should we be depressed as we watch things at times seemingly go from bad to worse. Whose kingdom is it anyway? Nebuchadnezzar had an ego the size of his gold head. It was a scary thought to see the rock of God's kingdom come crashing down upon the statue's feet and destroy all the kingdoms of the world, their pride, power, corruption, and false beauty. On a miserable prison island of the Roman Empire, John was reminded that the risen Lord Jesus had burst upon the history, man's history, and begun that kingdom not made with human hands that will conquer sinful hearts, yours and mine. Save from misery and destroy and 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 it will destroy the enemies of God. Some of this has has already come to pass. It's been coming to pass. It's what brought the Roman Empire down in many ways. The kingdom of God. impacts the kingdoms of this world and it will have the victory and it will be completely accomplished in the second coming of our Lord. Which kingdom appeals to you? Nebuchadnezzar's or Jesus? If it is King Jesus who has conquered our hearts Let's be about the work of his kingdom then. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We come to you recognizing that the kingdom of God is not just some, something dry that we could read about in a seminary classroom or something of that sort, uh, but it is really an issue of the heart. That you are at work in us through your kingdom. And we praise you for that. We pray, Lord, that we may reach out uh, to those around us with the priorities of King Jesus to reach those that are hurting, those that others overlook could be the widow could be the homeless child. It could be somebody that is well off, but just totally lost and doesn't 
have any comfort because they don't know you. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.